to episode 122 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. My name is Patrick Rahal. I am Patsy the Angry Nerd, and we are broadcasting here from Castle Wolfenstein. And uh, I am joined, of course, by the Mistress of Merlot, the real housewife of Transylvania, the Michael Phelps of wine. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Ashes Von Nightmare. Hi, my name is Ashes, and I like gore and glitter and gory glitter. And turkey and showers. <laughs> what? <laughs> I like bologna and turtles. <laughs> we are, of course, since we're in Castle Wolfenstein, we are here with the hardest working man in podcasting, the man with the velvet voice, Johnny Wolfenstein. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Hello, Johnny Wolfenstein. So I hope everyone uh, was properly surprised by Johnny's... Uh, Johnny's choice of why, why uh, is it so surprising? character. Well, you know, Wolfenstein, and you're like, oh, everyone but Wolfman is my favorite. I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was implied. Do you like Paps Blue Ribbon because it's kind of like your name? A little bit. Is that your favorite beer? It's not. I don't really I'm like I'm appalled. Beer. Yeah, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you? I don't know what Paul has to do with this. But uh, so how are you doing, Ashes? You doing all right? You you recover from your birthday okay? I am still recovering from my birthday. It is still Ashtober. We are still celebrating Ashtoberfest. We're yeah. drinking and having a great time. Well, that's pretty much what we do Feeling all Feeling kind of folly. Halloween is coming. Yeah, let's see. What the hell day is today? today? Oh, yeah, it's another couple. Another week. Another week. Yeah. No, a week from today is November. Yeah, because this is the twenty. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, we we uh, we record in advance, so I'm trying to remember what days are which. Halloween is coming. Halloween is coming. Winter is, is coming. And then, so that's a great holiday. Well, and then the November first is also a great holiday. Not only. Is it Dia de los Muertos, which I think is just a beautiful, beautiful holiday. It's 50% off candy day. Right? It's 50% off candy day. Yes. So. I feel like we need like. The candy man can. That's not very exciting. I don't know. I like it. It's a candy. Go get some candy. Candy. So, what are we talking about today? We are talking about the mummy. Yeah, it's a little bit more of um, different than the mommy. Yeah, not the mommy. M- mommy movies are different than mommy movies. Yeah, because I mean that would be like you know, uh, Mister Mom, uh, or like a Lamaze class video or something. Oh yeah. Birthing like a, videos, yeah, like a like those uh, videos of uh, babies being born underwater, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. No thanks. No, I'm I'm all right. That's that's a a weird thing to have a podcast about, but uh, yeah, we are talking about the mummy because uh, <laughs> we do uh, we like to do our uh, Universal monsters and. It's funny. We watched this for the first time the other night. Yes. Because uh, I had never seen it. But we saw so many similarities between other films. I mean, we'll get into it a little more after, obviously. But it was very interesting. So what's our what's our opening topic today? So last week was our Rock and Shock episode. And we went around and asked people what, well, who their favorite universal monster is and what is their favorite portrayal and it dawned on us that we really haven't answered that question ourselves yes that's true So i think it's only fitting if we for our getting into character topic today talk about who our favorite universal monster is and our favorite portrayal portrayal. do you want to go first sure Okay. So I actually agree with Monster Zero. He chose The Bride of Frankenstein, and I wholeheartedly agree with that. I love The Bride of Frankenstein. I think that the 
I, I love Frankenstein anyways, and I kind of got into it a little bit during our Frankenstein episode, but I really love The Bride of Frankenstein. I think that movie is so beautifully done, and that character is so, like, she's such a a well-put-together character, pun intended. Um, every Everything from her costuming and the makeup to how she was portrayed. I just thought it's just, it's perfection. And the fact that she doesn't speak, it's just shrieks. Hissing and and growling. Yeah, hissing. Animalistic shit. Right, right. And my favorite portrayal has to be Elsa Lanchester because she just did such a visceral job with it. That's what Montezero said too. Yeah, yeah. You know, she adds this depth to this character that is so... Deep? Well, I mean... (laughs) No, I was going to say, like, she adds depth to this character who's kind of simple. Mm -hmm. And she makes this character very complex. She's every bit as good as as, uh, Karloff is as the creature. and, And them playing off of each other is just brilliant. I think it's just so compelling and so just thrilling to watch. I think that it's just such a great movie. And now that I'm talking about it, I really want to go watch it again. Um, But yeah, my favorite is the bride of Frankenstein. So mine is weird because I have a favorite. Because you are weird. Yes. Well, I have a favorite monster, but so my favorite monster is the wolf man. Um, mainly because, um, I think the, the thriller video was so ingrained into me as a child. We watch it all the time. Um, you know, and he turns into the cat-like werewolf in that, but it's weird. It's not my favorite portrayal. Like my favorite portrayals are actually of Frankenstein and Dracula. Uh, my favorite Dracula portrayal is the Dracula. The yeah, the Dracula. Uh, Duncan Rager of or Rager. I'm not sure how to pronounce it from the Monster Squad because you know nowhere else does he throw out one-liners in any other uh, film that I'm aware of. I'm just going to uh, qualify it that way. And you know Frankenstein in Young Frankenstein you know, while giving you comedy still gives you the heart and soul of that character and what he's all about showing that he's not this, uh, unstoppable killing machine. He's just sad and, you know, lonely and, and misunderstood because he doesn't know what's going on. So those are my favorite portrayals, even though they're not my favorite monster. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as my favorite Wolfman, uh, probably Lon Chaney, but I did really like, uh, and it's you know it might be met with some cynicism from from folks who won't agree with me, but uh, I almost called him Guillermo Benicio del Toro uh, did a very nice job in the remake, so. I mean, that would be my favorite of of my favorite character, but my favorite portrayals are different monsters. So I know it's a little weird, but you're a little weird, so it's but okay. I'm a little weird. Yeah, we are the weirdest, misters, Mister. So, um, so I think what we'll do we'll we'll do our quick break. Mm-hmm. We'll come back and we'll just get right into talking about the mummy and you know our thoughts about it so we'll be right back trick-or-treat radio is a phantasmagorical spin kick straight through the heart of pop culture navigated by the deadites we are the world's greatest electroshock band we destroy monsters we drink booze and we win championship belts if you're not listening to trick-or-treat radio here's a taste of what you've been missing there's three guarantees in life what are they death Taxes and Trick or Treat Radio every Friday morning. This is one of the most convoluted movies I've ever seen in my life. I'm fucking trying, man. Hi, hi, hi. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, yeah. It's like the <laughs> super shit. 
shit on a pile of shit. But you shit on him right. for liking what he likes. Yeah, well, it's my job. This podcast is now banned in Germany. <laughs> it's me, Giovanni Lombardo Radici. Shut up. I call bullshit. I demand someone to bring me the face of Lindsay Lohan. If I had genitals, I would definitely bang her. Oh, wait. Is she a great big fan person? You just hit the jackpot. This is a weird movie, huh? It had action. It had suspense. It had great characters. It had great acting. I'm going to strangle you with my jockey shorts. I don't like mobster movies. All right, well, here's my take. You're a sick fuck. Thank you. Now shut the fuck up and let me talk. Have you ever seen 2001? The box, right? The box and the monkey. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and trickortreatradio.com. Arrivederci, douchebags. Hi, this is Samantha Newark, the voice of Jem and Jerrica from the original Jem and the Holograms cartoon series. And you are listening to Throwdown Thursday on the Grand Guineal Network. Good evening, future passengers. Are you ready to sit back, relax, and join us on a ride of epic proportions through the mystical land of randomness? Am I a serial killer if I eat Lucky Charms? What would it be like if horror characters ran a gym? Who would run spin class? When a shark jumps out of the water, is it like suffocating for that split second? So join us every week for a brand new derailment with Goobs, Ripkin, and Jenny Bean. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Derailers. And don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and also on YouTube. Have a great night or day, folks. And we are back. Thanks for sticking around, folks. We appreciate it. So yeah, we are gonna we're gonna start off by talking about Boris Karloff's portrayal in 1932's The Mummy. Uh, this is at the time it was uh, advertised as Karloff the Mummy because after gaining notoriety from Frankenstein, you know. He became a household name at the time. We talked about this. He wasn't a big name when Frankenstein came out. He wasn't even listed in the credits. It was just a question mark. Correct. But he was named in the closing credits. But now at this point, people know who he is. He's got a reputation for being the scary dude. He's the only one that they uh, mentioned, like that they named on the, the advertisements. And fun fact, this movie poster... The, an original movie poster uh, was the highest. Uh, it got the most money at an auction of any other movie poster in history. Really? It was it was close to half a million dollars for this original movie poster. Wow. Like nothing else uh, has come close. But I digress a bit, which I know is weird for me. But the thing about The Mummy, and we see this through not only this film, but through the remakes as well. I think what sets the mummy apart from the other creatures, we were just talking about this, is that he is the only one that is a purely, truly malevolent force. I mean, the wolfman, yeah, wolfman kills and attacks people, but it's out of instinct. You know, Dracula and other vampires will kill and drain blood, but that's what he has to do to survive. It, they're driven by instinct. It's no different from a shark. You know, Frankenstein, I mean, he's just, he's misunderstood. He doesn't know. You know, it's not his fault that, you know, he's, you know, he accidentally drowns that little girl. Creature from the Black Lagoon is just defending himself against an invasive species. You know, this is his home. You're coming into his home. But the mummy knows what he is and uses his powers for evil. See, I kind of disagree with you on that. Okay. I mean, I don't think he's fully malevolent, if you think about it, uh, especially in the 1932 version of The Mummy. He's doing it for love. What he does is for love. He lost his love, and he wants to bring her back. See, the way I looked at it, and... You know, he he doesn't he doesn't care the amount of carnage that he creates. 
And the reason he lost her in the first place is because he was doing some shady dealings. You know, he wasn't exactly... Uh, in the movie, his his name, he is Imhotep. Yes. As is the same in um, the Brendan Fraser version. Imhotep was a real person, and at some point we're going to talk about the real version of Imhotep. But um, he uses the name in the movie Ardith Bay, which is an anagram of death by Ra. Ra being the king of the gods, the sun god in Egyptian mythology. So just that right there, like, he doesn't seem to be, he's not like, well, I need to, I need to do this and I'm being noble. He's doing it for selfish reasons. Well, no, I agree with you on, on that, but at the same time, like, he's not just killing people and destroying things and trying to conjure the dead uh, for just just because he can, you know, he's doing it for for love. He wants to bring back his love, his true love. Like that's kind of sweet. Why don't you kill people and conjure the dead for me, Patrick? I'll do it this afternoon. Okay. No, but I mean, I can see your point. I just he's the only one who goes out of his way. It's like, I mean, like, oh. yeah, I'm sure that, you know, maybe he can just accept that, you know, the fate of his love is sealed because he did some not so great things. Um, you know, he's the one who caused all of this. But at the same time, like, I don't know. I just think there's something kind of sweet about that. Well, there's a scene in the museum where he kills the museum guard because the museum guard has the scroll he wants. He just kills the guard, but doesn't take the scroll he kills him lets people find the body and then goes and kills them as well it's like why didn't you just take it why do you have to you know he's enslaving people with his mind powers god i wish i could do that he's enslaving people and he's he's uh he's killing people that don't necessarily he killed that dog he killed the dog for no reason. That was sad. So, I mean, that's a dick move. You kill a dog, that's a dick move. I don't care what your motivations are. Unless that dog is Cujo and trying to, like, you know, murder you and, and fill you with rabies. You know, babies having rabies. <laughs> Unless that's what's going on, there's no reason to, to kill a dog. You know? Especially a completely healthy one. So, that part was messed up. So that's where I think I have to uh, draw the line of demarcation right there because it's like, no. It's like, yeah, you kill the, the guard. There's always collateral damage. But it's like the guy had the thing you wanted. You killed him. Why did you not take it? It's like, oh, but someone might have, you know, another security guard might have come upon me and, and saw what I was doing. So murder him too. You're super powerful. Like what's stopping you? Like I don't get it, but I don't know. That that's that's my thoughts on him. My other thought is he uh, uh, Boris Karloff sort of looks like Abe Vigoda in this movie. <laughs> like that was one of the, I'm like, why does he look so much like Abe Vigoda? But that creepy face, like he's quite menacing. That face, I think, like that scary look that they got him with the with the lighting all perfect and everything. That, to me, tops Lugosi and Dracula. The Lugosi-Dracula stare was amazing, but with the sunken eyes and, like, the the, well, know, I mean, the gaunt face. Yeah, they did an incredible makeup job Yeah, with this character. You know, again, you know, chalk one up for special, for, for practical effects, because I think his mummy, you know, all wrapped up in bandage and everything, looks Far superior to Sofia Botella's mummy. Yeah, so makeup artist Jack Pierce yes. is the one who created this look, and he based the appearance, the, uh, the mummy's appearance on the appearance of Ramses III. And apparently Karloff spent eight hours a day in makeup. 
I mean, it shows. Which, you know, I mean, we can do a lot more with special effects and practical practical effects now. Uh, but apparently, there were so many layers of cotton glued to Karloff's face to create kind of like that wrinkled mummy look that he was unable to move his facial muscles enough to even speak at times. Yeah, I, I, I did hear that. Like, how crazy is that? Yeah, and it's... You know, when he's in his, you know, mummy phase at the beginning of the film, like, they could have easily just used, like, a, a, a dummy, a dummy mummy. But, you know, he's just sitting there with his arms folded, like, just, ugh. It was and so good. That beginning, you know, when we see him in the sarcophagus and coming forward in all of the bandages, that's the only time we actually see him all bandaged up because it took so much time and effort to get him into that makeup and into that costume. And apparently, Karloff made the comment while in that getup, he was quoted uh, talking to Jack Pierce saying, well, you've done a wonderful job, but you forgot to give me a fly. Yeah. Because apparently they didn't give him anything to... He didn't have a butt flap. He didn't have <laughs> anything. Um, but yeah, so, you know, and that's why you see him in this Egyptian-like getup when he's um, Ardith Bay. Yes. Uh, not only is he trying to pass himself off as just a normal person... Uh, but it's also because it was just so much for the makeup department to have to do that day in and day out. So they focused mo- mainly on making up his face and his hands, pretty much the parts that were showing that weren't in that like schmuck nanamumu thing that he was wearing. Plus, you know, it you know really helps the subterfuge of uh, of blending in. With society, he can do that a lot easier, you know, with traditional Egyptian desert garb than he could wrapped up as a mummy. Correct. Uh, My my thing with this movie and Dracula and Frankenstein, my thing that's uh, definitely a change, you know, you see from the, the movies in the 30s than, you know, movies today. People are like, hmm. Well, this mummy disappeared, and you showed up right around the same time, and you have all this knowledge, and you can do all this stuff. Are you the mummy? Or, and, you know, like in Dracula, it's like, oh, well, yeah, take a look at this mirror. No, I don't like mirrors. I'm going to knock it out of your hand, you know, even though that hasn't been my type of personality the whole time. It's like, aha, you're a vampire, aren't you? You know, it's like. They're so easily and readily accepting of the fact that these are supernatural beings, even though they're men of science. You know, it's like, haha, are you the mummy? I am. Ooh, I'll show you, mummy. You know? Well, one of the things I love, and we kind of touch based, um, touch upon it a little bit in a couple of our other discussions about Dracula and Frankenstein, is there isn't a lot of exposition in these movies. So you don't get a lot of background on the character. You learn what you need to know about the character throughout throughout the, the, the movie. Like, you know, you can see that the, the mummy has a ring, that he can control people. But he was wearing well, that ring he, when you first saw him as well. Right. So, like, it's kind of... Um, you like, know, and he has this like pool that he goes to this pool of water where he can see what is going on and he can actually control people and kill people just by looking at them in you know into this pool he uses the force yeah the force is strong with this one um you know and i kind of like that there isn't a lot of flashy asides there isn't a lot of you know, obviously there isn't a lot of there, there isn't CGI because there wasn't. Um, there's minimal backdrops, but some of these backdrops are just spectacular. And they shot a lot they on location. Job. Yeah, they, you know, they they definitely get the job done. Um, but there isn't a lot of this crazy, just verbose exposition about the, the the characters. You learn what you need to learn when you need to learn it, and that's it. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, a lot of it is just because they didn't have the 
these are hour and, and ten minute movies. Mm-hmm. You don't have time for ridiculous exposition, right? Either. And back then, that was considered lengthy. Mm-hmm. You well, know? I mean, you, as opposed to the almost three hours we sit in a theater today. Yeah. I mean, we went to go see A Star is Born, and it was supposed to start at a certain time. It started 25 minutes later because it was just previews for 25 minutes. I mean, not that I mind previews and stuff, but... Well, I just mean not, not just previews, but I'm just mean... Right, I mean, that's in addition in to the movie has, length. has increased, and, you know, for some reason, we need all of this flashy stuff. We need CGI. We need action. We need all of this backstory. We need a bajillion characters. Um, you don't get that in these classic films. And I think what's so scary is that they rely on the actors to portray the, you know so it's not i mean granted the mummy did have a decent amount of makeup but it's not the crazy special effects that we see today he can do more with a look than most right. actors it's, it's today can based do with solely on the actor and how the actor portrays the role and Boris Karloff not only was he fantastic in Frankenstein but him as the mummy is even better oh my god it's just that the, he has that that look to yeah, him that perfect look is just it's so it's so intense and he has a way of making it like <sighs> and they create it with just him and some lighting and the look in his eyes, it's so menacing, but then at the same time, there's so much, like, deadness behind his eyes. Like, he's able to, to do that, and that's scary. Yes. You know, the fact that he's able to portray that, and one of the things I like about this version of The Mummy is its simplicity, you know, um, and they focus a lot on... And and that's another thing I kind of wanted to bring up, too, is the use of, you know, Egyptian folklore, Egyptian mythology, uh, especially at this time. They knew so little. We still don't know a lot. There's still a lot of questions. We see things, you know, we, we know about some of the gods. We know of some of the hieroglyphics. We know of some of the, you know, uh, kings and queens and some of what life was like in Egyptian times. But there's still so much we don't know. And right. there's still a lot of questions that need to be answered. And the only way and to we really know do more it. now than we did back when this movie was released. So how brilliant is it to, you know, take this this mythical creature, because that's pretty much what a mummy is. Yeah. You know, mummies exist, but, you know, we don't think they come to life. I'm pretty sure they don't come to life. And they exist yet, all over the world, we don't too. No, right. A lot of civilizations mummified their dead. But, uh, you know, e- Egyptian Egypt is, is famous yeah. for it. And like I said, we know a lot more now than we did back then. So taking all of this mythology and all of this unknown and playing into people's fears. Well, especially brilliant, especially where, you know, this came out 10 years after the, you know, probably the most one of the most famous uh, archaeological discoveries in history uh, when Howard Carter discovered King Tut's tomb. And a bunch of people died. You know, they called it the curse of the pharaohs, which is essentially the, um, you know, the the curse of if you disturb a mummy, you know, anybody who opens the, the, the sarcophagus or the caskets or, you know, the canopic jars or anything that are, are involved with the, the tomb, if you're disturbing the tomb because they believe that they took everything with them to the afterlife, mm-hmm. you would be cursed, anyone involved with it. And and a lot of times uh, the sarcophagus that the mummy is contained in contains hieroglyphics uh, giving directions and blessing the body, carrying it safely into the afterlife. Yep, various spells and, and incantations. what is so interesting about the character of Imhotep is that when they find his sarcophagus, those hieroglyphics have been scraped off. Yes. Because not only did they think that his crimes were so cruel that he needed to be mummified alive. 
but then he would be but, cursed in the afterlife as well. Correct. Well, the tomb. Uh, I'm I'm reading this off of Wikipedia because there's it's very interesting, and I think this directly contributed to uh, the mummy film that we got. The tomb was opened on November 29th, 1922. Um, George Herbert, who is the fifth Earl of Carnarvon, Carnarvon, I don't know. He was a financial backer. He died April 5th, 1923 of uh, an infected mosquito bite, which they believe uh, it was about six months after his death. They noticed a lesion on Tutankhamun's face. And they believe it was in the exact same spot where he had his, uh, where, where uh, Herbert had his uh, mosquito bite. George J. Gould, who was a visitor, died on May 16th, 1923. The uh, Prince Ali Kamel Fameh Bey of Egypt died on July 10th, shot by his wife. Uh, Carnarvon's half-brother Nearly became blind and died on November, uh, September 26th from blood poisoning. Um, you know, it's just on and on and on. 1924, there were there were two. Uh, 1928, 1929, another 1929, 1930. All these people within you know a few years of opening this tomb all died, and they were all in some way complicit in opening up the uh the tomb or disturbing the contents therein or they were they were involved in some way and every one of them dies of like oh no it's a curse of them like Howard Carter's uh pet canary was eaten by a cobra which was the sigil of Tutankhamun you know he remarked seeing jackals in the desert you know similar to the god of death Anubis and he'd never seen jackals in the desert before, you know, shortly after opening. the two. So there's like all these, you know, weird coincidences that everyone's like, oh, it's the curse of the mummy. But Carter's like, no, I don't believe in any of that. You know, he's again, he's a man of science. And we we kind of see that at the beginning of the film where, you know, you have the, the two characters arguing back and forth. You know, one of the man of science, the other one, like, don't disturb it. This is a curse. You know, and they go back and forth and it's a. He's very much an analog for Howard Carter. So um, I just think that's very, very interesting. And, you know, they kind of really turned that myth into a horror film. And so then, you know, there have been other versions of The Mummy, uh, you know, sequels, things like that. But it wasn't with Boris Karloff. It was with other other actors. And then we get... 1999, kind of like a, a, a reboot of the Mummy franchise mm-hmm. with Brendan Fraser, Rachel Weisz. And one of the things I pointed out to you, Ash, is, uh, as we were watching, because I've seen those movies a hundred times. They're a ton of fun. I really enjoy them. But a lot of the dialogue is almost word for word the same. You know, like there's a, a, a scene in the original where he, the guy's talking about, you know, messing with the 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 Vestal Virgins or whatever, you know, and then Brendan Fraser's line is probably got a little too frisky with the Pharaoh's daughter. Same thing, but kind of updated for the times, Mm -hmm. you know, when they go through, oh, all the sacred spells have been chiseled off. But obviously they Hollywood it up a little bit and give him, you know, Arnold Vosloo, the who played the the mummy in, in these films. They give him more powers and abilities and, you know, they can do more because of the CGI and everything that they have at the time. Uh, but they do keep the name Ardeth Bay. That's Odin Fair's character. Uh, he's one of the Medjai, the, the holy warriors who are supposed to protect uh, protect the world from Imhotep waking up. But they're not able to do that. Um, but if you watch these two films, you definitely see where the 1932 film strongly influenced the 1999 film. Um, we did not rewatch that one, but we did for the first time watch the Tom Cruise version. And Ashes, I know you feel a little bit differently than I do on this. So why don't you discuss what you thought about Sofia Botella? 
Okay, so I thought the movie as a whole was all right. I thought that a couple of characters were unnecessary. I really enjoyed Russell Crowe as uh, Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, There's a great scene with him that I thought was a lot of fun. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Tom Cruise. I think the only movie I really like him in is Jerry Maguire. And that's about it. Um, So... You know, I didn't have high hopes going into this. However, Sophia Botella, as I'm going to totally hack this up, Amonet. Amonet, yeah. Um, she's just fantastic. So I liked how they switched her st- the, the story of the mummy up, you know, pertaining to her. So she wanted to obtain power, ended up killing, you know, she was supposed to be the heir to the throne, which she was for pretty much her entire life until her father, the pharaoh, uh, knocked up some girl and his they wife. had, well, his wife, I thought it was just some girl. No, I thought it was just it was, some random girl. It wasn't a concubine. It was, uh, it was his wife from what you I know, understand. You know, he knocked up some chick. Um you know, his wife, whatever. And uh, they produ- they had a son. And so obviously she was ousted. Because it's a phallocentric as, society. Right, which is bullshit. But anyways, uh, she was ousted as the heir to the throne. And she was not having that because she had pretty much been educating herself and training and attempting to be the best possible heir that she could well, be. It was, she wasn't educating herself. Like, the pharaoh was putting her through all the rigors of, you know, combat training and, and you know, different Right, but what I'm, what I'm trying stuff. to say is, like, she went through all of this to obtain the throne only to have it pulled out from underneath her by this little baby boy. Yeah, who did nothing to earn it, whereas right. she had spent her whole life working and making herself into a a competent ruler but here comes this baby and he's automatically like he hasn't done anything yet he's just born and he's he's now the fucking male privilege god damn it that's what a phallocentric society anyways um she kills her father kills her mother kills the baby because she is that hungry for power this is after she makes a deal with Set. Yes. And Set gives her the dagger with the jewel in it in order to... And this is something that's missing from the other two. The other two films, or the other two franchises, I should say, he's trying to raise, depending on the pronunciation, either Anaxinamun or Anxinamun, um in the 1999 and 1932, respectively. He, that's who he's trying to raise. In this... She's trying to uh, find a vessel for the god Set, the god of death Set. Um, And she was in the process of carrying out a ritual when she was accosted. Yeah, she was accosted and taken away and mummified alive and so everything from then on is pretty much the same as the 19 you know she's mummified alive uh buried alive she's buried far away from egypt where you know the she's given kind of like a an unsacrilegious an unmarked grave yeah it's it's Um, she doesn't have all kinds of like tombs and markers like they're like, oh, okay, you know, the slaves dug the grave, so then they killed the slave. The soldiers killed the slaves, so no one could know. And then other soldier, soldiers killed those soldiers. Those soldiers, you know, exactly the way they did it in the first episode or the first film. You know, it's like you can't know where this grave is. No one can know where this grave is. So her main drive when she is awakened is to not only gain strength, you know, become a, a whole, we'll say person for lack of a better term. She's really not a person. She's still a mummy, but you know, she's, she's infusing no herself with the life force and fluids and things of everyone else. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to get say. rid of all the mercury that's in her blood. Right. Um, and her goal is to, complete her task of finding a vessel, a human vessel uh, for the god set. 
And that's that's pretty much the plot point of the movie. But I thought her portrayal of the mummy, not only was it aesthetically interesting how she was uh, visually portrayed, um, you know, she was looking very gaunt. And I really liked the hieroglyphics tattooed all over her. And she looked dark, like she looked really dark. Yeah, like, like she she looks like a, dark as in like gothic and scary, like yes, like because she was a pale white, but it was a stark contrast to like the black tattoos all over her, right, and the black markings and the dark circles under her eyes and the black on her on her lips, and you know they she she still looked even though she was gaining life, she still looked dead and otherworldly, right, and. I just thought that her portrayal was excellent. I think she's a fantastic actor. And yes. I I so so she kind of redeemed the movie for me in that aspect. Um you know, some of the dialogue wasn't great. You the, uh, the dude from from New Girl just took me right out of the the movie. But I thought that it was interesting choosing a female to portray the mummy where we have seen you know, uh, male portrayals, you know, several times. Pretty it much was, every time. Yeah. So it was interesting to see a female take and give her a slightly different backstory, ultimately with, you know, the, a similar ending. Yeah. I mean, the story was essentially the same. It was just a different motivation. Instead of like, right. I'm trying to find a vessel to re for my reincarnated girlfriend, it's, I'm trying to find a vessel for I'm, the Yeah, I'm God trying to keep my death. word and because it's going to make her more powerful. Like she again, she was doing it for selfish reasons and again, she didn't care who she hurt, who she killed as long as she did her her mission. And I think that's I mean, that's where the common theme is between all of these uh all of these um portrayals of this character. You know, it's I'm doing this for my, you know, my own reasons and like this is just how it's going to be. So Now I know you had a different take on it. I did. Um I did think she was good. I did like like her. Um there were a couple of interesting parts because they're, you know, Universal's trying to relaunch this whole dark universe and this is really the first step that they're taking. Uh, I do like the world that they're setting up. Because, I mean, really the only crossovers you saw were when monsters would fight or hang out with Abbott and Costello, um, you know, back in the 30s. And, you know, it was it was tough for certain characters to meet because they were being played by the same actor. You know, Lon Chaney was the, you know, the Wolfman and the Phantom of the Opera. You know, um, Boris Karloff, as we mentioned, was both the mummy and, uh, you know, Frankenstein. So... It was hard to do a crossover with those characters, but I think you know I agree with you on the the story for this one. I like the way that it shifted to you know a woman trying to gain or keep power mm -hmm. um, and i don't I don't know if Am Aminette is a real person or not. But I think what they tried to do is just kind of like take some names of famous, famous uh, Egyptian, I don't want to say like folklore, but like famous names from Egyptian history and just kind of assign them new backstories. Like Imhotep was not a disgraced priest. He was an architect who designed the pyramids. Right. And after his death, they named him a god. Yeah, he was the only non-pharaoh to be revered as a god after his death. So far cry from what you did. I mean, I don't like just taking someone's name and using it. You know, that'd be like, you know, you know, a hundred years from now or a thousand years from now, they make a movie about Abraham Lincoln and, you know, he's a kickboxing astronaut, you know. But I... Well, I mean, he is a vampire hunter. He is a vampire hunter. I mean, that I saw that documentary. Just the thing that I, I didn't like was 
you know, her the way she looked, it was almost like with him he looked like he was actually mummified. He looked like he was wrapped in bandages. Yes, his face was visible, but that's because that's how he portrayed his his menace and his his uh malevolence. With her, they were like, yeah, we're definitely doing PG-13 nudity here. So let's make sure that, you know, this thing is ripped and shredded to make her look sexy, but also keep a, a, a PG rating. So, I mean, like, I, I kind of didn't like the way she was objectified like that. Because there was a lot of, like, she was naked do it during the ritual and she was naked during this. And, mm-hmm. you know, these bandages just barely cover up her nipples. And it's really not how it would look if you had actually been mummified. I don't know. But I did like her portrayal. I like, say, like her uh, as an actor, I thought she did an, an excellent job. So I mean, it's not her fault that they chose to portray her in a certain way. No, I mean, everything I've seen her in, she she's very good. I didn't like, like, you have to pick a lane. Like, the 1932 version was... Straight up horror. It's supposed to be scary. The 1999 version was horror comedy, you know, like a Ghostbusters, you know, like it doesn't take itself too seriously, but there's real peril and there's real, you know, consequences to your actions. This couldn't decide what it wanted to be. Like... Yeah, she's the mummy, but she wasn't even the central character. Like, everything we we did revolved around Tom Cruise. Like, don't call your movie The Mummy and have it not be about The Mummy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the other films centered on stopping The Mummy, and this is what The Mummy's doing, as opposed to this... Stupid-ass romantic sub- subplot. You know, like, oh, he only did it for 15 seconds. Like, who the fuck cares? Okay, well, I don't want to get into actually reviewing the movie. I was just saying that Sophia no, like, Botella, I think she did an excellent job portraying the mummy. And she should and have I had more of an opportunity it, to do so. Agreed. agreed. Like, that's my, that's my main takeaway with this, is if you're going to have it on the mummy, like, tell us more about who she is and her motivations. Mm-hmm. Agree. So, I don't know. Do you have any other uh, thoughts on... So, out of what we've seen of, you know, the different mummy movies, not mommy movies, mummy movies movies. that we've seen, um, what is your favorite portrayal? I really like the, 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 the way that Karloff portrayed the mummy but i think i'm gonna have to go with the arnold Vosloo version only because you get to see him do more you know he gets a little bit more of an expanded backstory and he gets a little bit more of uh gets to shine a little bit more you know he what he does he doesn't do from the shadows he's out front doing what he does and I like the fact that he had the power of the 10 plagues of Egypt like I thought that was really cool um he didn't have that in the original version um honestly all three were very very good but I gotta give it to the Arnold Vosloo version yeah I think um you props to Boris Karloff obviously he's oh yeah Fantastic in pretty much everything that he does. No one's scary. He, oh, absolutely not. Um, you know, he was the original. He uh, kind of set the basis for this character. Um, but I, I really enjoyed Sophia Bautella's performance. Yeah. I really enjoyed that backstory that they gave her, and you know it. it sh- the quest for power especially in this political climate 
Yes. You know, just the the ambition that she had wanting to uh, willing to stop at nothing, you know, to to regain what was rightfully hers. Yeah, it's like she's it's, you know, again, it's reflective of the times we're living in now where it's, you know, this is my birthright. Oh, you're a man and you're taking everything from me. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that's just the way it is. No, like that's not the way it is. And she did have some very, uh, you know, when they did some of her backstory, I thought that her makeup was excellent and her hair, from what we know of the way Egyptians were portrayed, you know, the way, the way that they were. they portrayed in um, and stuff, yeah. Y- yeah, I, I just thought that she looked awesome as well as she played the character really well. And the, the thing I was going to say, um, I mean, she's born in Algeria, so... You know, she's she's from the area. I was going to say, she kind of she had like that natural look about her. Right. And, you know, she's from Algeria, which is very, very close to Egypt. Um, She. She plays the character, even though she's, you know, this scary thing and she knows what she needs to do. It's very similar to how Josh Brolin plays Thanos, where it's like, I'm aware of the sacrifice I need to make. It's not easy but i'm aware of what i need to do in order to achieve my goal like it still sucks i'm still feeling this emotionally and you could see you know her struggle with her emotions but my my uh my goal is my goal and i'm going to do whatever i need to do to achieve it which is something you didn't really see from the other characters like they just kind of stayed in one mode and you didn't really see their actions affecting their emotions that much so so i think with that being said uh we'll go ahead we'll take our last break and uh, when we come back we'll wrap up and we'll give you a preview of what's coming up next week so we'll be right back Hi, I'm Mike Price. I'm a writer on The Simpsons. I co-created Ephes for Family. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday Podcast. Hello. This is the Sasquatch, a.k.a. Bigfoot. But you can just call me Frank. And when I'm not stomping around the woods throwing rocks at hunters, I like to listen to the Paranormal Punchers Podcast. That's right, Paranormal Punchers. They talk about all things paranormal, and they're hilarious. Go find them on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and ParanormalPunches.com. Hi, I'm Richie the Whiz Kid from the Best Darn Diddly Review Show, and you're listening to the Throwdown Thursday Podcast. Patrick Rayhoff in the motherfucking house. Patrick Rayhoff in the motherfucking house. And we're back. I hope you enjoyed that uh, mummy talk because uh, I got a little wrapped up in it. But uh, oh, shout out to the yummy mummy cereal that they don't bring back anymore for some stupid reason. 
That's because he's not as popular. I mean, they did a couple of years ago. They brought back Yummy Mummy and Fruit Brute, which was exciting. Yes. But the fact that they don't get as much love around Halloween as the other three cereals, that's bullshit. I agree. Hashtag justice for Yummy Mummy. So, um, we've got we've got some stuff coming up. We have a lot of stuff coming up. We do. There's uh, some crazy episodes coming up. Yeah, we have some uh, some interesting guests coming. We got some first time guests coming. We uh, we talk to a lot of people at Rock and Shock, and we uh, have a lot of stuff coming, especially after the the first of the year. We have a lot of people. Yeah, I was just say stay tuned, kids, because boy. Do we have some stuff planned for you guys? We have uh, good things. Yeah, we have some some good great stuff. things, fun things, weird so, things. Uh, oh yeah, definitely Always weird, weird things. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what do you want to? What do you want to? Well, we have a new battle. We have a new battle. So and oh, we have a new battle theme as well. We do, which we uh, we heard recently. We had to debut it when uh, when. Uh, Steve Van Sampson was here because it's part of his, I mean, his band is the one that put it together for us. Yeah. So, uh, you ready for the, for the battle? Oh, you know it. All right. Awesome. So what do we have for a battle this week? That's so freaking cool. It is. It's the um, freaking best. Yeah. So thanks to Steve and the guys from Enchanted Exile for yes. putting that together for us. We greatly appreciate it. So we did something not so great. Uh, we were so consumed with Rock and Jock and Ashtober and Ashtoberfest and I was getting over the flu and a whole bunch of other things. We forgot to post the battle from the not last episode, but the episode before that. No, the Dracula episode. So, so many Draculas. Um, so what we are doing is not only are we going to post those battles and in case you forgot, we have... The countdown, who was the better Dracula, Bella Lugosi, Christopher Lee, Duncan Rager, or Gary Oldman, and Frankie's finest, who was the better Frankenstein, Boris Karloff, Fred Gwynn, Peter Boyle, or Robert De Niro. Adding to that is today's battle, it's a mummy mania. Who was the better mummy? Boris Karloff, Christopher Lee, Arnold Voslo, or Sophia Bautella? I think we already know who we're picking. So, well, yeah, because we already told them. Yes. Duh. Well, other people can pick different things. Well, yeah, I hope other people pick different things. It's great to have opinions. So, um... Choices. You have wine to talk about today? I have great wine to talk about today. So... I swear to God, your phone listens to you. Oh, yeah. When you're talking, it just like sneaks up on you, records you. Because I was talking about a wine that I had seen a commercial for that I couldn't really remember the name. It was a type of Merlot, but it was different. And the very next day, the ad for this exact wine popped up in my Facebook feed. I'm like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. It's aliens. Aliens in the NSA. Aliens. It's Major League Baseball. They're listening to us. Yeah. Um, but anyways, so it actually did me a favor. It actually worked out in my favor because I was able to be like, oh, yeah, that's the wine. And I picked it up and I drank it and it was great. So it's from uh, Menage a Trois. It is called Lavish. It is a brand new Merlot that they put out. And it is everything you love about Merlot, 
only more. Menage a trois lavish is a luxurious, over-the-top expression of Merlot, brimming with ripe blueberry and black plum flavors, accented by rich mocha notes wrapped in a plush, velvety finish. Guys, this is great. So it's a Merlot, and it tastes like a Merlot, but it's like a Merlot elevated. It's like if Merlot could get classier, this would be it. It is so smooth and so delightful on the palate, yet very rich in texture and flavor. It has, it, it, it still has like that Merlot base, like that Merlot flavor. It's just more. Like I can't really describe it otherwise. It's just, it's more than a Merlot. And I enjoyed it. I drank the whole thing all by myself. Not that I need help. <laughs> I'm a professional. Um, but yeah, so it's Menage a Trois. It's la- called Lavish Merlot. It's, uh, you had, so I gave you a sip. Yes. Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty good. It was a little dry for my taste, but you like. I like it you dry. You like that stuff. I like it dry and robust. Yeah, that's. I like the. It's the a good descriptive stuff. word. Robust. So, uh, for my science fact, it's it's this week because we're we're talking about the mummy. Uh, I want to get a little bit of the science behind mummies, and it's not really the science; it's more the mythology behind the science. But they were very good uh, when preserving bodies. Obviously, uh, they used a lot of spices and things to uh, keep the bodies fresh, which is why today we still see. You know, the wrappings intact and, and sometimes some of the flesh still intact, you know, even though it might be drawn tightly, you know, gaunt over the, the skull and, and other bones. But they were very good at preserving bodies. And part of what they did was they uh, removed most of the organs, you know, the heart, the liver, etc., and put them in what were called canopic jars. Now, the significance of removing the heart was uh, when you got to the underworld your heart would be weighed. And if your heart was heavier than a feather, you would go to hell, essentially. And, you know, because it would be put on a scale and on the other end would be a feather. Um, so that was the significance of that. So, like, you would get buried with all the the organs that you would need again. Uh, they didn't really care much about your brain. Uh, your brain wasn't really preserved. They didn't... It was your heart that you needed because they believed everything was in the heart. Uh, all your good deeds, your bad deeds, essentially like, you know, the the scales of justice, you know, do your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds and do your good deeds make your heart light enough that it's lighter than a feather so that you may enjoy the afterlife and not be subject to torment. Condemned to hell. Yeah, their their version of it, you'd you know, you'd have to hang out with Anubis and Set. Well, Anubis is the god of the underworld. Set is the god of death. I said that earlier. Isn't Anubis said, the puppy? Anubis is a jackal. Yes, uh, I said earlier that he was the god of death. He's not. He's the god of the underworld. Set is the god of death. So I want to fix that. So next week, uh, we have. We may have a guest. We're we're still working on that. We're hammering out some details. But we are going to be discussing over the next two weeks um, both the creature from the Black Lagoon and the Wolfman. I'm really stoked to talk about the creature from the Black Lagoon because I don't really know much about this character. I don't either. So I'm very intrigued and eager to learn more. Yes, and I'm hoping that if we can get these guests that uh, I'm thinking of, they are very big fans and they know a lot about the character. So, I uh, I like Teach it. Teach me, oh wise one. Yeah, I was gonna say I like when we have guests on that are more Bestow knowledgeable. Bestow your than we knowledge are. upon me. So hopefully we can get those folks on, and uh, if not, it'll just be us, and we will still impart and as I'm much sorry. knowledge as we can. But uh, after that, uh, not sure what we're doing. Uh, that's just gonna wrap up our. Eight weeks of Halloween, seven weeks of Halloween. I don't care. There's not that many. Every day is Halloween. Yeah. We know we did The Crow, and then we did six weeks of Universal Monsters. Mm -hmm. So seven weeks of Halloween. You're welcome. Seven weeks of Ashtoberfest. Yeah! 
then we have uh, I'm hoping we get a certain guest coming back to talk with us again. I think that's going to happen. Yeah, we have a lot of stuff in the works, and I think you all are going to be pleasantly surprised. Oh, I think you'll be very happy with... Very, uh, very happy. We've been given a list of some, some characters, too, that people are like, how come you haven't covered this yet? How come you haven't covered this yet? So we're like... And we're like, oh, my God, how come we haven't covered haven't we? this yet? 120-some-odd so. uh, episodes, and we still haven't covered some of these characters. It's crazy. So many freaking characters. But uh, we also should be getting a new logo soon. Uh, Yeah, there's like I said, there's a lot lot in the works stuff coming up. So stick with us. Stay tuned. We're going to have a party. Yes. So I think on that note, we We will will see see you next next Thursday. Thursday.